Good afternoon. Uh, it's good to be back with you all today. I am trying to get our feed up. There it is. So I can see your questions. Let me turn that down a little bit. Um, so we want this forum to be used as a, uh, a way to ask questions anytime anytime you want to ask a question we want to uh, field that question and so we're going to be doing this for a little while uh, this this type of class this online digital class uh, we are starting back our services hopefully uh, on may 31st so uh, when we come back we will not be doing any kind of bible classes uh, no uh, a.m. Bible classes, no p.m. worship, and no Wednesday Bible classes. So we'll just be doing the 9 o'clock worship service for, uh, if you're 60 and over, you come to the 9 o'clock service. And if you're uh, anyone else, <laughs> any other age group, you come to the 10.30 uh, a.m. worship service. So we're going to continue doing this this format for uh, for the foreseeable future, at least until we figure out how things are going to hash out as far as the virus goes and all that kind of stuff. So get comfortable. Uh, we've talked about different kinds of things that can make this more interactive and better. Right now we're going to stay with this format. Uh, so ask your questions. Be as involved as possible. Um, invite friends. Share this on your Facebook page. This is on uh, Facebook. It'll be on YouTube. Um, by tonight and it'll be on our call system if you want to call the number is 304-278-0763 uh, so you can call that number and, uh, and you can listen to uh, the worship services on your telephone uh, last thing I've got earlier I mentioned that um, we were doing uh, the a type a class on the types wow our class today is not, as mentioned earlier, on marriage as a type for our relationship with Jesus. Um, that is my bad. <laughs> I messed up. Um, I forgot that we're doing a two-part session, the second part being today of uh, Canaan as a type for heaven. Uh, so scroll down and look for the notes there if you, uh, if you don't already have those downloaded. And uh, once that this goes up on YouTube, we will be trending by midday tomorrow. So uh, get on board early. No. Hashtag Rick's class. <laughs> uh, one thing you may never see in front of my name is a hashtag. <laughs> I, I can't guarantee that for, for sure, but uh, it's not likely. Uh, we are in discussions at the moment about uh, comparing Canaan, uh, the land of Canaan, uh, promised to the Israelites and delivered to, ultimately, delivered to the uh, the Israelites uh, under Moses. Uh, and uh, the uh, comparison there, the type, is um, Canaan serves as a type for us of heaven, our land of rest, our paradise, um, our land flowing with milk and honey, if you want to use that uh, allusion that is used in the scriptures. Uh, we we talked a little bit uh, about that the fact that it's not listed as or named as a type 
but the comparisons are made throughout uh, the scripture and are so strong that uh, it would be, I would think it would be an error for us to uh, conclude that it was not uh, uh, con intended as as a type. Uh, we talked about uh, the lands of promise in the first part of the lesson. We went back and looked at, at Hebrews 3 and 4 where the writer of Hebrews uh, compares the fact that the Israelites went up to the land of Canaan, this promised land that God had uh, promised them centuries ago back in, in uh, Abraham's time and was now delivering to them and promised to give over to them and uh, they rejected that out of fear from the inhabitants of the land of Canaan and God said <laughs> I'm sure he thought and I don't know if these words you know actually are in the scriptures after all I've done for you and you can't trust me to deliver Canaan to you inasmuch he said that especially in sentencing them back to uh, 40 years in the wilderness until that generation died out and uh, he could bring in people who would have a faith in him that, um, that they could uh, conquer Canaan, well, certainly with his help. So we looked at that and we looked at the allusions there to the rest that was, that was provided to them uh, from their labors and from their conquest and how uh, we have a rest that is provided to us and promised to us in our after our labors here and that is that is heaven and so this comparison of the land of Canaan to uh, heaven under the Israelite and under the, the Christian dispensation um, is, is thoroughly legitimate and intended by God and um, is intended by God as a, uh, as a motivator for them in their situation and us in ours. Um, I'll talk about that in, in just a second. Uh, before I do, I wanted to mention uh, a couple of other things. On your handout, if you have a copy of that or have, uh, have it downloaded or something, on pa at the bottom of page 100, it talks about uh, there are a number of passages there, and these are random. These are just eight passages that talk about uh, this promise. The Israelites had their promise. Uh, they rejected it. It was still granted to them once that generation uh, uh, died out in the wilderness. And the promise of, of salvation, the promise of eternal life, of heaven, um, are all made for Christians, those who uh, live their lives here and uh, end their lives in faith, um, having complied with, with all that is required of them here in this life are granted eternal life. It is a promise. God cannot lie. He cannot break his promises. Um, and uh, it, is, it is something that we can, we can count on. And I'll just read through these quickly. In uh, Galatians 6, 8, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Romans 6, 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Matthew 10, 22, the one who endures to the end will be saved. 2 Timothy 2, 10-12, I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen so that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus and with it eternal glory. For if we endure, we will also reign with him. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much. James 1, 12, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. 
For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which is which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then a couple of passages in Romans, two, Romans 2, seven To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, comma, eternal life. Romans 6.2 But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. The hope uh, that we have for eternity in heaven is something that uh, we find obviously in those passages and other passages uh, in in scripture and uh, it is comforting or should be that this life is not all that there is in fact when um, the scriptures compare this life compared to the next life if we are on the good end of that next life um, is not even comparable. Uh, the, the things that we uh, experience and suffer here in this life are, um, are trivial things. Paul refers to them as these uh, inconveniences, uh, uh, what, slight, what, momentary, slight afflictions. momentary afflictions. And you know, <laughs> if anybody knew about afflictions in this life. Uh, it was Paul. Second Corinthians 11 or 12, 12, yeah. 12 lists all the things, and those probably weren't all of the things that, that he went through, but if you look at that list there of all that, all the afflictions uh, that, that Paul went through in this life for the cause of Christ, he knew suffering. He knew pain. He knew discomfort. He knew distress. He knew sadness and disappointment and all of the things that we experience in this life uh, in major ways because all of those physical things that he underwent, on top of that, he also had the pressure of the churches and he mentions that um, one of the times that he talks about these. He says, in spite of all of this, I have that constant pressure of Am I doing enough for Christ? Am I saving enough souls? Am I preaching strongly enough? Am I consistent? Am I watching over? Am I visiting, revisiting them enough? And, and we don't have those kind of, of pressures. We do experience things in this life that um, are part of life. I call it suffering with a little s and suffering with a big S. And pardon me if I minimize sufferings in this life, but the Bible minimizes sufferings in, these, in this life. And the Bible, the New Testament in particular, and it would be a worthy study on your own to look at suffering, the word suffering, and how it is uh, treated and what kinds of suffering they're talking about when they talk about suffering in the New Testament. I'd be willing to bet almost every time it is talk, talking about suffering for the cause of Christ. Everybody suffers little less. Everyone uh, is susceptible to take our current situation. Coronavirus, 
COVID-19, whatever you want to call it, is no respecter of persons, no respecter of cultures, no respecter of countries. It has affected the entire world, I'm assuming, by and large. Um, people have suffered physically because of, of that virus. They have suffered financially. Um, they have uh, suffered hardships in numerous ways about which I, I don't even know and can't readily identify. And people have died from this disease, this virus. But those are things that, like I say, they're non-discriminatory. They don't, they don't just happen to a certain group. Cancer, uh, death in the family. You know, you could, you could list a whole um, group of, of misfortunes that this life exposes us to. But the suffering for the cause of Christ only happens to those who are His and are subjected to that suffering because they are His. We bring that upon ourselves willingly and we hope that we endure it in a way that would glorify God. Um, I was just <laughs> telling Chris about an experience that I had at another congregation uh, elsewhere um, uh, several years back and um, the, the preacher there would, would preach about um, we must stand out in this world and we must <clears throat> be unique and I didn't have any problem with that but his his point was that regardless of your circumstances if you don't stand out as a Christian you're not living a Christian life and so I told I, I filled in one evening uh, for him as, as a preacher uh, uh, um, preaching for the pulpit it might have been Sunday morning I can't remember when he was out of town and I said a lot of times the first question I get asked when I have arrived when I arrived here in this area was hi my name is such and such and do you have a church their religion was so out front so open that before they ask you anything else do you have a church they were trying to recruit you to their church and it wasn't just this church it was that church that church that church it was it was a community of really religious uh, people to stand out in that kind of community is going to be a lot more difficult unless you make it your goal to stand out and i don't think that's what christ was talking about i don't think that's what the scriptures were talking about suffering for the cause of christ uh, is important for us it was it was easier to suffer, I don't know if that's a, an appropriate phrase, in the first century as a Christian than it is for us today. And we sometimes talk about the comfort that we have, the relative comfort, the, the, the little things that we would call suffering for the cause of Christ by comparison would pale considerably. We'll talk a little bit about suffering uh, for the cause of Christ. Um, 1 Peter 3 says this, to sum up, all, all of you, I'm not on the text right now. This is a separate piece of paper that I've, that I've written some ideas down on. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, be sympathetic, be brotherly, be kind-hearted, be humble in spirit, 
Do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. And that goes back to what we've just talked about. The blessing that we will all inherit if we are found faithful is that home in heaven. Verse 13, uh, 1 Peter 3 says, Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Always be ready to give an account for this hope of eternal salvation, this hope of heaven. Yes, if someone asks you why you attend worship services, why you do this, why you don't do this, and, and it relates to your conviction as a Christian, and you don't give an account of that, and you don't tell them what drives you and motivates you, I would say, and I don't think I would be taking it out of context, that that is denying Christ. And we also know, it says, that if you deny me, I will deny you before the Father in heaven. This commandment that we have to defend our faith, to tell others why we have this hope of eternal salvation is not a recommendation. It says always be ready to give an account. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Alright, so that is if, if we are suffering for the cause of, of Christ. And my point uh, in, in these thoughts at this point in this lesson is <clears throat> we many times get caught up in the things of this life. We're very busy people. We have things on our agenda. We have to raise kids. We have to do this. We have our jobs. We have, we, there are a lot of things that occupy us and occupy our thoughts and our time. And the problem with that is perspective, um, accountability. What we do with our times, with our time here on this earth, how we spend our time um, compared to how much time we spend studying God's Word, doing God's Word, worshiping, you know, all of, all of the doing good for others, all of the things that, we sh that, the, that the Word recommends for us or tells us we must do in order to live out that Christian life <coughs> is way more important in the larger picture. Yes, we have to be in the world. We are in the world and we have to carry out our lives but we also have to have this part of life as well. And 
I think the difference is up here. Where is your emphasis? Where is your ultimate importance? Is this incidental to this over here? Or should it be the other way around? Is this life incidental to what is really important? And I know that's that falls easily off the tongue. It's easy to say, um, and and I'm certainly not saying that that I'm there. Um, I don't don't think any of us uh, uh, any of us is there. Um, Paul talked in a number of situations, and I'm going to read something from Paul in, in, in just a minute. But first of all, I want I want to drive home a point that Christ made in Matthew the tenth chapter. Um, when he talks about what it means to be a disciple. And again, first century Christianity, um, shortly after Christ died, uh, rose from the dead, and the church was established, more um, was considerable cost. People were put to death. People were tortured. Uh, lands and, and possessions were taken from Christians simply because they would not deny uh, Christ and Christianity, their, their belief in him. But even prior to that point, Jesus warns them that this is going to happen. In Matthew the 10th chapter, around verse 24, he starts and he says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that, that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they called the head of the household, and he's pointing right back at himself, Beelzebub, Satan, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Christ's disciples. But he says, it's coming. It's going to happen. But the next verse says this, 26, Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what I what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him, it's capital H, on him, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Verse 29 and 30 talk about a couple examples of his care and love for us. And then verse 32 it says, Therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Jesus is telling his followers at that time, and that was prior to the major persecution that they were going to receive, at the hands of those who were persecuting Christians, the Roman army, the Jews, um, and whoever else might, be, might have been involved in that, that you have to be ready to defend the hope that lies within you that Peter talked about. If you are not willing to do that, you are denying its part in your life. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. 
For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Wow. Those are tough words. Jesus was known for not pulling punches. He said there are going to be tough times in this life for you to make decisions about or on concerning him. So when we talk about suffering with the big S over here, that's the important thing. That's what Jesus was warning them about. He wasn't talking about the little S over here. The sufferings that all of us do in this life don't discriminate. It comes to the Christian, it comes to the non-Christian, it comes to the atheist, it comes to the agnostic, it comes to everyone. The suffering for the cause of Christ is what is important for us. So you might say that just as the Israelites had some work to do to get into the promised land and to stay in the promised land, we have some work to, to do to be able to get into and the promised land that's coming. Yeah, in fact, that is the probably the last point that's made uh, in, in this lesson. Jumped ahead of you. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I thought it was clever. It, it is. It's it is, clever, it is a great point, and it's great because you made it, and it's great because I make it uh, <laughs> over, over here, uh, later here. We're not guaranteed that salvation once we become a child of God. It has to be latched onto, mm -hmm. it has to be grasped, it has to be clutched and held onto as tightly as anything, more tightly than anything in this life. Because as he just illustrated there, mother, brother, father, uh, all of that, <clears throat> I might have to give that up, yes, because that is way less important than this over here, your salvation is way more important. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life placed more emphasis over here on this stuff will lose it eternally. He who has lost this life over here in preference for eternity and for my sake will find it those are right out of Jesus uh, mouth words right from our Savior and he is telling us that things in this life must achieve in our minds and in our actions less value than heaven is that easy <coughs> no it's not <laughs> easy uh, is that possible? I don't know. It's up to every individual person to determine how much <coughs> of that kind of waiting, balancing, they're going to do in their lives. If you are consumed by the things of this life, I doubt that you're putting much emphasis or time in on this one, the one that's going to come after. And this comparison between the Israelites and not valuing what Canaan had and trusting in God that he could deliver that to them, <laughs> if the type is true, and maybe we're, we're taking pieces too, too far down the line, 
But it could be possible that that is compared to our emphasis over here and our lack of faith that this is more important than this over here. It's a, a chord you can follow through Scripture all the way from the Old Testament all the way to Revelation. You know, Jesus talks about this, this same concept, I think, in Matthew 14, where he, he brings out the, the parables of the pearl, the great price. And Absolutely. It's worth whatever you have to give to obtain it. In uh, Luke, was it Luke 9, where he says, you know, you got to count the cost before you follow me. Absolutely. you got to take up your cross. That's what dead people do. Uh, there's there's a cost here. and But is it worth it? Well, absolutely. Scripture would resoundingly say yes to that. Absolutely. But there's there's a, there's some work that has to be done. Good point. I am I'm convinced that um, the journey of the Christian from novice Christian to um, extremely mature Christian. Um, I look at Paul as an extremely mature Christian. I think he'd fit the bill. I think he would fit the bill. Uh, his emphasis um, was was somewhere else. Um, he talked about this this well in Philippians 1 uh, 21. It's the next point here that I was going to make here is that his perspective on life and death. Life over here and death over here. And he says in, in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Paul, as much if not more, and he even talks about what he has done uh, for the cause of Christ, um, delivered Christ to others and made it possible for um, a whole world at that time to know Christ and and Paul was not going to back down from that even in prison I think as he writes this letter he says for me to live is Christ Christ will be promoted Christ will be, ad be advanced if I live but if I die then God loses me as a soldier but for me I gain heaven. He says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For to you, you believers, you followers, it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake as well. Again, we talk about the differences between the first century and the 21st century and, and how how often, I won't go say how easy it is to suffer, how often they had opportunities to defend their faith. Um, we almost have to seek opportunities um, today. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't, and it, and it doesn't mean that we shouldn't defend that faith when we are presented with opportunities. So he goes, suffering would be a work <clears throat> that, we, that we could do, suffering well. The defense of the faith would be a work. Absolutely. Um, a realignment of our priorities would certainly be a work we could do. Yeah, it's, it's all good stuff. And then finally in uh, Philippians uh, 1, he says, Fear not the things of this world. Little s over here. Big S over here. Fear not the things of this world. Fear not being in a condition where the promise of eternal life is in heaven, in heaven is a possibility. 
fear not. These are not Paul's words. These are mine. Fear not having a hope after this life. Fear not the things of this world. But fear rather not having a chance at eternal life in heaven. Those who have no promise of heaven should fear death. Should fear viruses that if contracted can kill them. Because one, that's all they think there is to this life. So once I die, it's over. There's nothing else beyond death. And that is fearful. That is depressing. That is extremely saddening that uh, this life is all there is. But more than that, there is more after that. <laughs> and they should fear death because of what is after that. If they die in an unsaved condition, everything that we have in the Bible, in the New Testament, tells us that there's going to be a judgment. And if we die outside of Christ, then we should fear. One last verse on this point, then we'll get back to the lesson. Unless Chris unnecessarily prolongs it. <laughs> uh, Hebrews 10.26 And this is talking about more than likely... Uh, that we have been saved. We are in a saved condition. We have joined the kingdom. Um, several uh, passages in Hebrews tells us, don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to paganism. Don't return to that which you were before you became a Christian. You are throwing away salvation. And he puts it in even more graphic terms here uh, in this. But the same could be said of the person who never accepts salvation in the first place. You are in that same condition as these people here. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Jesus is not going to come again. He's not going to hang on the cross again. He did that once for all mankind. So there's no other sacrifice that we're promised, no other sacrifice that we know of that is coming, God has told us, I sent my son, you crucified him, you put him to death on the cross. That is your chance for reconciliation with me, and it's only through him. It says, for if we go on willing, they're no longer uh, sinfully, uh, sinning willfully. Did I say sinfully? Sinning willfully. There is no longer, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And then he says, but... Here's what does remain, a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fire, the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries, those who are opposed to God and to Christ. Anyone, and he gives an example, anyone under the law of Moses who set aside the law of Moses, violated it willfully and, and knowingly, were put to death. It says, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That was the law of Moses. That was the type for a far superior law that we are now under. And then he asked this question, how much severer punishment do you think he will deserve, he who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and, is insult and, and, and has regarded as unclean the blood of Christ? the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified 
and has insulted the Spirit of grace. We often talk about all that God has done for us, all that Christ has done for us. And if we reject that, it's almost as if we're saying, eh, so what? So what? To the one who came to this earth from heaven and did all he did for us. And then when we do that, it says that we trample underfoot the Son of God. Not, not a very appealing picture. Regarded the blood of Christ, that which allows us to be reunited with God and have a hope of eternal salvation, as unclean. That blood as unclean, and that means more to uh, the Jews than it does us. There's a whole cleanliness and, and uncleanliness piece that we don't even fully understand or comprehend that they knew what meant, what unclean meant. And you've insulted every aspect of love that God has attempted to show for us through His grace of giving us His Son. That that right that that passage is is uh, is stark. But notice what else he says. For we all for we know him who said, "This is God. Vengeance is mine; I will repay." And again, the Lord will judge His people. And then, verse thirty-one, uh, at the end of that passage, it says, "It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God." How we respond to God and His Word, I think, is motivated in a in a split fashion. They they work together, but one works on our fears and one works on our love. We should fear the outcome of not obeying Christ and not obeying God's will. And this is what it's talking about here. We have a judgment day coming, and that judgment is going to be harsh and stark and forever. On the other hand, there is that positive side, the love side, the giving side, the forgiving side of God that should motivate everyone possibly even more strongly than the initial one that we might have encountered uh, when we became a Christian, that of losing our salvation due to our, our, our sins or being condemned forever because of those sins. So don't fear the things of this life. Fear the ones that are going to come after this life. Get your life right with God. Enter the kingdom here on this earth. Have your name listed in that kingdom that is not of this earth, which is heaven. And then if you do that, and do your best, then both of these lives will take care of themselves. We're still going to have these uh, sufferings over here that everyone suffers. We may heap some suffering on ourselves because we are a child of God, but that is going to further guarantee our home in heaven uh, with Him when this life's over. End of rant. Unless, uh, unless Chris wants to add, add something to that.
I'm good. Okay. Um, I, I just started uh, looking at, at this lesson, um, reviewing this lesson this morning. I'd already looked back over and made some notes, but I started looking at it and I said, we're in turmoil right now in, in this life. Um, our economy is our schooling, you know, our contact, our, our social life with others, uh, everything has been brought to a, a screeching halt and has been disrupted. Um, I'm sure that that has led to considerable uh, unhappiness and depression um, and maybe even suicides in, in some cases um, for people. And um, the only thing that I can offer is what I think I just did was this idea that we'll get through this um, and if we don't, we'll, we'll have to live with whatever um, it is that, that will come after. And probably not in our control. What is in our control is our faith and our confidence that this life is not what's important. It's the next life. And if we're going to spend our time doing anything here, um, it should be focusing on ensuring ourselves that this next life is taken care of. The land of Canaan. Um, is described in the Bible. When God uh, speaks to Abraham in Genesis 15, he says, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, and I believe that's the Nile, uh, all the way up to the river of Euphrates up in Mesopotamia. This land at the time of the conquest uh, contained 10 different nations that they were going to have to, uh, to conquer. Um, the territory was about, according to uh, the reference that I have there, uh, about 60,000 square miles, 144 miles in length, and it was kind of a wedge shape, 40 miles across at the bottom, 20 miles uh, at the top. Um, Israel held um, its largest territory under the, the reign of Solomon, but uh, the initial conquest itself was, was considerable uh, in size. Um, the description um, probably appealed more to them than it appeals to us. <laughs> Milk and honey, uh, we would prefer, probably my, my preference would be Snickers and uh, Coca-Cola. Absolutely. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Diet Coke fan, uh, but, <clears throat> but uh, Snickers and Coca-Cola, land flowing with Snickers and Coca-Cola. Ice cream and Reese's Pieces. Ice cream and Reese's Pieces. <laughs> Whatever your, uh, your bent is, um, you know, you could, you could put that land flowing with milk and honey um, and put that in, in place of land flowing with milk and honey. To them, that was heaven on earth. That was paradise flowing with milk and honey, meaning a never-ending to it, uh, something that would sustain you, something that would be sweet and, and appeal to you. Um, they had been living on uh, manna, bread, and, and water, and quail uh, in the wilderness uh, for the past uh, 40 years. And so now, as they begin to enter the land of Canaan, this promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. Don't know if that was literal or just a, you know, a saying uh, to, for, to appeal to their ears, but it was rest for them. It was the joys and the conditions um, that they had been looking forward to and God promised, had promised them, especially after coming from uh, 400 years of slavery uh, in Egypt them and their ancestors. Um, 
exactly what um, heaven will be like um, is a mystery for us. Oh, I jumped down again. Um, I did this a while ago when I was looking at this. Um, land flowing with milk and honey, uh, great and splendid cities, which the people did not have to labor for or build. They would just walk right in and take right over. Clusters of grapes that needed two men to carry. Uh, cities are greatly fort fortified and the people are strong, um, but they are not unconquerable. They are conquerable. Uh, but the, that was one of the descriptions about uh, about the land of Canaan. And there may have been others in there uh, that I missed. So if you do cross-references in your Bible, maybe a good cross-reference there would be uh, John 14. He's gone to prepare a place for you. He's building a house, a mansions, mansion. Many mansions. Yeah, yeah. there's rooms yeah. there for you. Yeah. So when uh, when we talk about heaven as a spiritual gift, and we don't think of milk and honey, uh, we don't think of clusters of grapes that are so large or so so heavy that, that two men have to carry them. Those types of things don't appeal to us. Heaven is a spiritual place as far as we know. And uh, to describe a spiritual place for m human minds that are lim as limited as ours are um, would probably be um, um, a feat that, that couldn't be accomplished. Um, it is... We cannot imagine the joys and, and the benefits um, and how marvelous heaven's going to be. God does paint for us a picture using our terms, using things that man uh, finds valuable and uh, treats with reverence uh, in some cases. Here are just a sample of those descriptors. Uh, the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit. No need for light, God will be the light. No more tears, no more death, no mourning, crying, or pain. Things we have never seen, nor our hearts imagined. Gates of 12 pearls, streets of gold, transparent as glass. It's the dwelling place of righteousness. Walls of jasper, city of gold, clear as glass. Foundations adorned with every kind of jewel, jasper, sapphire, agate emerald, etc., white garments, golden crowns, and all these former things have passed away. I might just mention those things we were talking about a while ago in this life. No tears, no death, no mourning, no crying, or pain. So that is why heaven looks so promising to those of us who are currently overwhelmed uh, with this life. Needless to say, uh, these, uh, what we would call, very few of us get to experience anything on this earth like this. And so I say, needless to say, these extravagances, we might call them. But God has chosen these terms to uh, describe heaven to us. They far outweigh anything that the Israelites were going to experience uh, with their, their land flowing with milk and honey. But as with all types in the Bible, the type itself is inferior to that which comes later. And I'm thinking that even though the conquest of Canaan was glorious, the people were able to rest. They were able to celebrate being freed from slavery. They were able to experience all of the things that the land of Canaan offered them and God had promised them. It was still physical things and it cannot
compare to the spiritual blessings that are suggested and wrapped up in physical terms the way heaven is described. Most of these come from the book of Revelation. And it certainly cannot um, compare to the joys uh, that we will have in that spiritual afterlife. Um, I'm going to start um, this this next section. I don't think we'll have we won't won't have time to finish uh, the lesson, so I'll save uh, save the rest of this lesson uh, for next week. But it's uh, the point that Chris was making a while ago, so we'll we will reemphasize a point that he uh, introduced a while ago. Uh, heaven is a gift. Um, at the same time, it's earned. Now, on the surface, that is, that suggests a, a, a paradox. That can't be. If it's a gift, then how how is is earning it possible? <clears throat> when God decided upon His plan of salvation, um, and evidently, according to the scriptures, this was set uh, back uh, before the beginning of the foundations of this world, that Christ would come and do the things He did in order to afford us the opportunity of reconciling ourselves to God through Him. Um, that was a gift. God offered that, I was going to say unconditionally, but it wasn't unconditionally. The offer itself was of an unconditional love. The love that He has for us is unconditional. However, God is, and we talked about this several lessons ago, God is a God of covenants. God has never, um, that I know of, and I can't think of anything in the scriptures, maybe Chris can uh, think of something that at least comes close, where God rewarded someone without their having doing anything to get it. Think about that. Mm -mm. God is a God of covenants. He started from early on and said to Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden, all of this is yours. Tend to it, care for it, grow it, play in it, do whatever you want. And we'll have no problems. However, there's only one thing that you cannot do, and that is to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's located in the center of the garden. Don't do that. And the day you eat of that, you shall die. That was a covenant. Follow my rules, you'll be blessed. Don't follow my rules, it's not going to be good for you. And so, from that time on, going up through the, land, uh, the, the patriarchs and up to the time when he establishes his people in the Israelite nation with the leadership of Moses. God has always been a God of covenants. He offers blessings. He offers forgiveness. He offers glorious things. But he always bases them on obedience to him <coughs> rendering obedience to his will 
And so when we say that salvation is a gift, the grace of God, among other things, and probably most importantly, is the giving of His Son, through whom we have redemption of our sins and our reunification with God, from whom we've separated ourselves due to our sins. So that salvation is a gift indeed. It's not deserved. It's not um, unconditional. We have to do something. We have to... And if you want to use the word earn, you can. But earn doesn't really capture that. All we are doing is complying with His will in order to receive that gift. We cannot have that salvation without our part coming into it. And we can't have our salvation without God's part coming into it. So, when we say that entry into either the land of Canaan or to heaven itself is conditional or is earned, then that's what we are talking about. It is a covenant between the two of us, us and God, God and us. And God has set the conditions for these. For the Israelites, he set up those conditions that uh, we will look at uh, next time. We're not going to get into this. I just wanted to introduce this idea um, before we close today, um, especially since Chris had brought it up. Uh, actually, the part that you have is over on, on the next page when we talk about uh, it can be lost. Uh, you, there is something in that covenant that would suggest that once it is gained, even then, it's not guaranteed because we have to not only enter his kingdom here on the earth, his church, but we also have to live faithfully until we die. And we can lose that salvation. We talked about those warnings uh, back in, in the book of Hebrews. And there are warnings throughout the Bible. And I will just hold this up as a visual if you don't have your lesson here. I listed over 30 passages there that talk about how, how easy it is, how possible it is to lose eternal life. And if, and if you can't read these, you certainly can't copy them down in the remaining uh, three to five minutes that we have here. But uh, if you download that lesson or let me know and I'll send you this list, 30 passages plus some that talk about it in general rather than specifically saying it is losable. Um, I'll send that to you. There is a concept out there of, uh, I think it's the John Calvin Perseverance of the Saints, that um, once you are saved, once you accept Christ, once you go through whatever is required to become His, uh, and a child of God that uh, that can never be taken away from you. And that's just not supported by the Scriptures. Back in Lesson 8, we talk a lot uh, about this, and I can't remember right offhand what, what that was, but we spent some time talking about uh, why that's not a concept that's supported by the Scriptures. And um, to me, it's 
it's logical that God would not only require initial obedience but continual obedience um, in order to receive the reward. You can't have initial obedience and then be a reprobate the rest of your life and expect to obtain the blessing that was guaranteed to you at the point you obeyed. You have to live a life consistent with the teaching of God following your entry into the kingdom in order to achieve uh, heaven. And that makes it makes total sense. That's the way it works here in this life and that's the way it's going to work here in the next life. So um, we will we'll talk a little bit more ab about that but we won't go into it in the depth that it deserves because we did that um, back in lesson 8 and uh, for those of you who were with us at that time uh, don't want you to have to uh, suffer through that uh, again. Uh, but if, uh, if you don't have Lesson 8 and would like Lesson 8, um, let me know. Let Chris know. And uh, shoot me your email and I will send it to you. Um, you know, I refer to Lesson 8, but I have to go back and check because I have renumbered these. Um, but if you say, send me Lesson 8 and that information on once saved, always saved is, is the concept, Perseverance of the Saints, then uh, I'll be happy happy to do that. <clears throat> so, salvation is a wonderful, marvelous blessing. Uh, it is the most important thing in this life. Our job is to place it as it deserves. Place it in the position of that which is most important to us in this life. What if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul. Not worth it. You can't take this world with you into the next life. So our emphasis, our actions, our behavior, our attitudes, um, our priorities ought to be on serving God and on making Him happy with us, pleased with us in what we do. And do your best. Try in trying not to let the cares and the worries and the woes of this life overwhelm you because if you are God's, you have another life ahead of you that um, will be worth it. Good stuff. That's all I have to say. We'll talk to you next week and we'll, and we'll finish up this lesson. Um, like Chris said, uh, he also has uh, marriage and... Um, Heaven, marriage, and the church. church. Marriage and the church um, notes out there. If you need those, contact us. Let us know, and we'll finish up this uh, one on Canaan and heaven this uh, next week, and then get into uh, marriage and the church. Thank you. <laughs>